0: Can you hear anything? I know, it's patching. Keep going, keep going oh. Where? oh, here we go. We'll get sorted out here. Shortly. Can everyone hear me now? Yeah. Not very much in the back? I know it's. Uh, oh, yeah, I got that. Sorry. Okay, we're on our way. S- there's always challenges when we're on this side with the sound. Is that better? No, no good. Okay, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. I'm the moderator for today, and our title today is "What Are the Pressing Challenges of Resettling Refugees in, uh, in Latvians?" As you all know, we've uh, received some uh, Syrian refugees in the last three months, and uh, today we are delighted to have a speaker that is very knowledgeable about refugees and immigration. Sarah Ames is here to tell us all about it. Uh, Before we get started, I'll just mention that, uh, especially for the new people, uh, at the the meeting here we uh, put our money in a basket. $11 for lunch. And if you're only having coffee, you can just pay $2. That's uh, allowed. But without further ado, I will ask Sarah Ames to come up. Sarah has lived and worked and raised a family in Lethbridge since 1982. She graduated from the University of Lethbridge with uh, distinctions. And for the first 13 years, she uh, worked at the university until she took over the immigration services in Blathbridge, where she's been uh, doing a great job since, ni- since 2001. So without further ado, I'd like to give her a warm applause to get her started.
1: Thanks, Newt. Can everybody hear me? Good, okay. Um, okay. So, um, good afternoon everybody. Uh, as Knut said, my name is Sarah Amies. I'm the director of the Immigrant Services Department. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, How's that? Okay. <laughs> That's my angry mum voice. Anyway, what I'm going to do today is just give you some some uh, details as to where we're at with respect to how many Syrians have, have arrived in Lethbridge since we first started welcoming them in January. I want to give you a bit of information about what sorts of processes these folks will be going through. Um, I only have 15 minutes. There's an awful lot of information. We do have a Q&A afterwards. What? Two speakers, yeah. So my colleague Elma Ginto is, uh, is also going to be speaking. So um, excuse me if I go rapidly, but do remember we do have some Q&A time afterwards. So to date, as of March sixth, so these are, these are pretty uh, relevant and up-to-date statistics, we have welcomed 157 Syrian government-assisted refugees into Lesbridge. The arrivals started on January the 1st. Happy New Year. It was a great New Year's gift for the Syrian family, certainly, and for us at Lesbridge Family Services. We've been receiving arrivals very regularly ever since. Um, There have been times when it was 20 a week. So there was a question asked of me earlier whether or not we are having problems with respect to getting our Syrian refugees safe and affordable housing. And actually I'm so pleased to to report to you that in Lesbridge we are not having as much of a problem finding Again, safe and affordable housing for folks—not the same kind of trouble that is being had, say, in Vancouver or Ottawa. Um, we do seem to be doing fairly well. Um, 24 or 160, 24 families rather, 116 Syrians have moved into their permanent accommodation. And upon moving into a permanent accommodation, your settlement journey really does start. It's very difficult to start thinking seriously about settlement when you're in a temporary accommodation situation. We are um, experiencing quite large families, and at one extreme, we've had two families of 10, one of 11, and here's some facts about the rest. On average, the, the families average about seven members. 55% of this group are children under 14. For me, that spells such incredible hope and opportunity for Canada because we need young folks in Canada. We are an aging population. We have a declining workforce. And this is an amazing opportunity if we can stay with these kids as they travel through their settlement and become citizens and then engage citizens within Lethbridge or Alberta or Canada. We have found that under 5% speak either English or French, and we also find that pre-Canadian experiences vary greatly. Some of our refugee uh, clients have been living in refugee camps, but only about 15% of those folks are actually in refugee camps, and this is where access to safe water, medical, and some educational services is available. The remaining 85% of folks have been what we call urban refugees, and they have managed to find themselves a place to live within a city and they're they're moving within that city, getting odd jobs here and there and just trying, basically struggling to survive. Some of the children, um, those who were not in refugee camps will have tended to miss a lot of schools, so we are looking at some fairly important educational milestones that will have been missed. Uh, we're working closely with both school boards, however, and they are aware of that and they've been ramping up their services. and. Um, Uh, appointing new uh, ESL teachers and whatnot. Just very quickly, the difference between GARs, or government-assisted refugees. These folks, they're refugees, and by definition, they have been persecuted so much that they have had to flee their country's borders. These folks are referred to what we now call Immigration Refugees and Citizenship Canada, or IRC. Um, That is the new Citizenship and Immigration Canada. So no longer CIC, but IRC. And these folks, the the refugees, are referred to IRC by UNHCR. We love acronyms in this sector. (laughs) Privately sponsored refugees are a slightly different um, um, group of folks. They've also refugees and so they've fled their country's borders and they have already been identified by groups in Canada so a privately sponsor, private sponsoring group will say we know of Mr X and his family in Jordan that is the family that we wish to sponsor and so then the various authorities get together and that happens there are several psr groups in Lethbridge area already and a few more popping up all the time So with respect to our PSRs, or our private sponsors, 29 people have arrived so far, eight families. They've been sponsored by the University of Lethbridge, church conglomerates, and also by MCC, or the Mennonite um, uh, Church. And we are expecting more PSR families. We're expecting more groups. To date, we feel that we know that there will be 35 people coming at the moment. So a little bit of information about what we do at Lustbridge Family Services. We meet the GAR families at the airport. We take them to temporary accommodation. We conduct in-depth needs assessments, and this is a really critical piece because across the province, all of the five, now six, GAR welcoming centres have standardised that needs assessment form, so we're all taking the same information from the same groups of people. And so for research purposes and planning forward, that's going to be a really, really valuable document. Um, We're, of course, arranging for immediate medical care when necessary, and we organise all of that ID and important information. IFH, by the way, is the Interim Federal Health Programme, which supplements Alberta healthcare a little bit for one year. Where the private sponsors are concerned, they do a lot of the work, the initial work, i.e. providing housing, providing rent, startup money, that kind of thing for their families. PSR families do come into Lesbridge Family Services, however, for settlement um, assistance. Every single private sponsor handbook says contact your local settlement agency. So we knew we would be busy. The next following few weeks, we will be um, taking folks through orientations on housing in Canada, budgeting and shopping, school systems and daycare, medical systems, rights and responsibilities, seniors, women's, children's rights, you and the law. The assessments will lead to referrals to language school, and Elma is going to talk to you a little bit about that permanent accommodation will be secured and then children are referred into a program that we have called the Youth Settlement Services Program and they're registered in schools and families are also then referred to the Community Connections Volunteer Program where they're matched up with volunteers and if people are interested in having some something to do with the settlement of Syrians and you feel you've got the time and interest then please do phone us up at our office um, my contact information is on the last slide and we can get you uh, chatting with our personnel in CCVP. We have um, developed a number of best practices and these have been going very, very well. We have managed to have four multidisciplinary primary newcomer clinics at our site. It was important we have the space. Uh, we actually occupy the old Glidden paint store, so it's just a wide open space and it is a really good multi-use program. Um, with with many many different uh, sectors of alberta health services the reason we decided to, to have it on site is on site is where that first trust bond is established with our staff we've picked people up from airports we invite them down to the office and we start the orientation so it's just it's a comfortable place to be for these folks and we have done immunizations boy The first time we did it, we had all the families come in at the same time, and so we had, I don't know, 20, 30 babies all screaming because they'd all been (laughs) immunized. So we then decided we'd stagger the families a little bit. You always learn this stuff as you go. Dental checks, a lot of people have not had access to any kind of dental work, and so mouths are in a fairly disgraceful state. Blood work, we do have an on-site lab, better beginnings for pre- and postnatal. We're expecting eight babies any day soon. Mental health assessments as well. And just by sitting there, the first clinic, the mental health folks were able to flag two kids just through their behavior as kids who are going to need a bit more support. And when you consider some of the experiences that some of these kids have gone through, that's hardly surprising. Primary doctor also attends the clinic for emergencies or medication needs. All of our guards are connected to family doctors. We have had some emergency and some walk-in appointments. We did have a family come in with chicken pox, but it it remained confined to three kids of eight in a family. So we're not looking at epidemics here. And you will have heard that there were a lot of kids in Edmonton with flu-like symptoms, and certainly we had a few down here as well. We also invite many, many other organisations into our um, into our organisation to be able to provide information sessions. So the Lethbridge Regional Police provides a five-part series called "You and the Law." We've done went- Winter Redness, although we didn't really need it this year much. The um, library tour with complimentary library memberships for all families so important that the folks are hooked into places where they can access educational materials, resources like that. And I expect the library is probably now bringing in stuff in standard Arabic so that these folks can actually read in their own language. Um, Men and women's health and sexual health, The city of Lethbridge has presented and told us about recreational um, activities and subsidies and that sort of thing. We do find in general that refugee populations do not access recreational opportunities as much as perhaps they should. One of the reasons is um, there's an expense, so thankfully we do have subsidies. The other thing is... Refugees and immigrants very, very quickly become very busy Canadian families. And often refugee mums and dads might have one, if not two, jobs. And it just becomes very, very difficult to get their kids to particular activities. And that's where we come, uh, we become involved as well at Lesbridge Family Services, and we can help out. We've also had some domestic violence counseling and coping with change presentation from uh, Lesbridge Family Services counseling department. So over the next year, and this is a fabulous lead into ELMA, Emphasis is going to be placed on the importance of adults learning as much English as possible. There is a year within which they can have access to language classes through LINC, which is a language instruction for newcomers to Canada. And um, it's very, very important because after that first year of life in Canada, that support will stop and it's it's up to folks then to be able to Uh, practice English, go out and get a job, and have sufficient English to be able to support families. And uh, when we think about large families and the ability to support large families down the road, we feel it very, very important to persuade folks to stay in English, Mums and dads the same. And that edict is coming right down from the federal government at the moment. Um, Okay, we've pretty much done that. So as families move towards independence, they are supported by the settlement agency. They can access service from us for three years after landing. Support will stop after a year, and that's federal support. And then for the following two years, they can still access for information about community. I'm having some difficulties with this, that, and the other, and we can help out. Um, We match our families, and we get our kids involved in the YSS program. Recently, Government of Alberta funded a community capacity assessment piece that we were able to to manage and pull off. From that, we have created a community action plan and a steering committee with representatives from the following sectors that I've had down there. Um, This is a really, really important steering committee as we plan as a group how the community and the various sectors who will touch refugee clients work this together, how we are proactive, how we can um, nudge our own funders in order to be able to get more money, uh, in order to be able to provide more services for more folks. The community generosity and donations have been overwhelming. And thank you, thank you, thank you. We are so grateful for that. And that's me. So thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much, sir. We were right on time. <coughs> and I have to tell you that, Sarah and they, uh, they came and spoke here on short notice. So they did a wonderful <coughs> job of uh, filling in the gap for SACPA. Uh, I'd like to introduce the next speaker, Elma Guinto. She is involved with the uh, teaching of s- second language. And uh, she has a lot of experience in that. She's taught many places in the world and uh, she is very capable of making this thing happen. So without further ado, here's Elma.
2: Good afternoon. I'm Alma Gento. I am the owner, um, the director of Flexibility Learning Systems. This is an English as a Second Language school that I started about 25 years ago. It's downtown Lethbridge, right next to the bus stop. So it's a very convenient place for adult newcomers to come and learn English as a Second Language. Every day, we have about 200 clients that come through our school and various programs that we offer. We have full-time, daytime programming, uh, 25 hours a week for clients coming to school wanting to learn English. We have uh, evening classes. People are working. They can come to evening classes. We have a seniors program that we run every afternoon. We also have what we call a drop-in program. So if people are working, for example, we started it several years ago when we had a lot of people working at Sunrise Poultry. They were working afternoon shifts. They were coming to morning classes. So we have a lot of different options for, le- for learning language, and we also have employment programs as well. Right. So we can also help clients look for, imp- uh, for employment. Our, our language programs are low-level language programs. So we work with the clients who perhaps have had no education. Maybe they've never gone to school. Maybe they've had interrupted schooling. Maybe they've had three or four years at school. Um, So those are the people that we work with, literacy, level one, level two, level three, maybe. If possibly level four, if they are being assessed at being higher than that level, then they would be going to the government language classes, the link classes at the Lethbridge College. So we take all the lower level people. And I think initially when we heard about Syrians coming to Lethbridge, I mean, there was this talk about, you know, perhaps they had... Some higher levels of education; they um, perhaps learned uh, some English in school. But uh, what we're finding is that I think, and Sarah can correct me if I'm wrong, I think only two people have re- been referred to language classes at the college, and the rest of them are all coming. They're all coming to our school. Now. W- Of the 200 or so clients that we have at our school, I mean, they're basically all refugees. Most of them are refugees, probably 80-85% of them are refugees. So they're refugees that have come from Sudan, from Eritrea, Ethiopia, Burundi, Rwanda, um, uh, the Bhutanese refugees, now the Syrian refugees that are coming. So there's a lot of different kinds of people coming from all sorts of different countries that are coming to the school. So we've only just now started working with the Syrians, and actually, seriously, only probably about the last two weeks. When I counted yesterday, we had 29 Syrian clients in the school, so they're still kind of outnumbered by the rest of the people that are coming to school. So probably, probably 80, 85% of them have less than nine years of education. Most of those probably less than six years of education. The ones that are, some of the clients that are coming now from Syria, it states on the referral that they have six years of education, but that education has perhaps been in a madrasa in in a, in a school where they've studied the Quran or something like that. It's not been sort of formal schooling, and in fact, a lot of the men say said, yes, yes, I went to that school, but then... Uh, the, the, the teacher didn't like me, so he beat me every day, so I went home to my father, and I said, I'm not going back to that school anymore. So they've had very little schooling. Um, some of the guys um, can hardly write their name in Arabic, let alone in English. They can't, they're can't; they not fluent in Arabic. So yeah, there's absolutely no English at all with, with a lot of our clients. Probably 75% of them have had little or no schooling. One of the things that that we do at Flexibility is we do continuous intake. So we don't have sort of set starting dates or set ending dates. So students can come in at any time if we have space. As long as they let us know ahead of time, we expect them, you know, they can come into the program. And usually we do intake on Monday mornings. Now the last two weeks we've been doing intakes, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, whenever people show up, we've kind of been taking them into the, the program, which is not normally what we do. But one of the things that the teachers have been doing is, when newcomers come into the class, especially now, with the, with the, the newcomer group that's been coming now, is we want the students to all get to know each other a bit. You know, we we don't have a separate Syrian English class. No, you don't want to teach classes where everybody speaks the same language. You want to mix people up. You know, so then the only way they can communicate with each other is by English, and so that's that's what we want to do. So. Uh, which can be difficult at times, but anyway, that's what we want to do. So one of the things teachers have been doing is during those first few days in classes, or the first day in class, having people introduce each other. And as people start to talk, you know, and when when the Syrian men in particular, the women as well, start to talk and they say, well, yes, there was a lot of problems in my country. I left my country. I lived in Lebanon for two years or I lived in Jordan for two years and then I came to Canada. And yes, it was very difficult and we must go because there's many problems in my country. And then the next client stands up and he says, yes, well, I was from Eritrea, and I left my country seven years ago, and I went to the Sudan, and I, uh, I mean, to Kenya, and I lived there for seven years, and my children were born in refugee camps. And it's like, oh. Then we have you know, the Ethiopians talking about the same thing. I left my country. I lived in, in Kenya for many, many years. I lived in Kenya for 10 years. Then we have the Bhutanese talking, and they say, okay, well, my grandfathers, they left Nepal, they went to Bhutan, they lived in Bhutan for many years, the government kicked them out, came back to Nepal, we lived in a refugee camp for 20 years. And it's like, really? You know? And so suddenly they start sharing these stories, and initially it's kind of like my story is worse than your story. But after they listen to everybody's story and they start thinking, Wow, we're kind of like all in this together. We, you know, we have some similar experiences. So let's sort of focus on the experiences that we share. Man, we're all here together. We all have to learn English. So we better stop speaking Arabic to, you know, the guys in our class. We better start speaking English because then we all need to learn English. We all need to... You know, think about our future in Canada. We need to work together. We need to think about our job. We need to think about what we're going to be doing in the future. So it's been kind of exciting to see some of that happening in in our classes. We're all in this ship together. Because one of the things that I, I'm speaking for myself, you know, it's like there's been a lot of focus on the Syrian refugees, and and, and necessarily so, but there's a lot of things happening in the classes that, uh, you know, I've got a lot of other refugees from a lot of different countries that we also work with. So m- most of our the Syrian clients that we've seen so far are have very, very little schooling. So what that means is a lot of these guys, they're starting from the very beginning. They cannot print their name. They don't know their personal information. They don't know numbers. They don't know colors. They can't write the names of the kids. They can't write their birth date. They're not familiar with the Roman alphabet. You know, we're starting basically from scratch. And when you come to an English class, and you've never been to school before, it's not just that you don't know English. It's that you don't know how to go to school, you don't know how to study, you don't know a lot about learning strategies. You're basically starting with zero. So you have to, you know, you're starting with the basics of, of, you know, what others might be doing in in a kindergarten class, you know, because... That's the level that a lot of the students are at. So, you have to make it real, you have to make it something that they can relate to, but there are some things like your name that you have to learn to write. And when I tell people that sometimes somebody who comes into my class who's illiterate, and it might take them six months to learn to print their name, and learn to print their address, and learn to print their day of birth, and they may never learn to spell the names of their children. And people say, that's, you know, that's, how, how can that be? Well, if you think about the fact that we go to a school, you know, and our kids go to school and, and uh, they um, slowly learn to print their names and they slowly learn learn to do different things and 12 years they go to school and then eventually they get to a college program or a university program. These guys have one year to learn English and then they have to figure out what they're going to do with themselves. So the emphasis really is on the oral work. We really want them to practice the speaking. The reading and writing, yeah, let's, let's do some of the... The basics of personal information, but then let's really focus on the oral skills. The program also is about learning to live in Canada, it's, it's settlement language, so we're also learning to live in Canada, we're learning about living in Lethbridge, we're learning about Canadian culture, we're learning about how we might be doing things in a school, um, things like, y- you know, um, we have to learn that you don't just open a door and barge into your wife's classroom. Uh, to speak to her that you might have to knock on the door first and say, excuse me, and do some of these things. So all of that is part of the class as well. It's not just English. It's all of these other things that are involved. So, and and the other big thing is that they need the strategies to deal with not knowing the language. So. They need to learn, how do I cope with the fact that I have information coming from my children's school? I can't read it. We've had students in the past who took envelopes and threw them in the garbage because they said, I can't read it. And then they wonder why they don't have the child tax benefits, or they wonder why they didn't get their paycheck or something like that. Well, did, do you have a letter at home? Yeah, I have a letter at home. I didn't open it. Well, bring it to school. Let's have a look at it. Bring it to public services. So a lot of those things, they have to be taught. We just assume people know those things, and they, they don't. Um, we, We spend a lot of time outside the classroom, going to different places outside the classroom. You can talk all you want in the classroom about you should do this and how to do this and how to do that, but if we can take them into the community, show them things, do things, go to different places, observe things in the community, you know, and then it becomes real, it becomes meaningful, and then we can connect it to the language that we're learning back in class. So that's the level that a lot of the students are at. Not all of them, we do have some teachers, we do have some people who have had further, you know, uh, higher levels of education and had some good jobs. So that's kind of a different group. Those guys are going to learn the English. They're going to need some help to learn it, but they're going to be able to learn the English. It's all of these other guys that we have to think about, especially some of these men, you know, 35, 40 years old families, like Sarah said, big families. What are they going to be doing when their year of language is over? So. We have now, um, we actually expanded in February. We rented another space, we started some more classes. I have 40 referrals sitting on my desk and I have clients that want to come in April and I don't know what I'm going to do with them all, but so yeah, there's a lot of clients that they're needing language instruction. Um, But what we're also going to be looking at is what happens when that language instruction is finished? What are they going to be doing? We do have an employment program at Flexibility Learning Systems. In fact, we have two employment programs. We have one employment center, which is kind of a one-on-one working with an employment counselor, and that's for anybody, high level of English, low level of English, professional, anybody that's new to Canada can come to that program. And we've had a 95% success rate in clients finding employment. We also have another program that we started several years ago, when we were working with some of the Bhutanese clients, and. Their levels of language were so, 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 so low, and they had never worked before. They had no idea what working even meant. They'd grown up in camps, you know, so it was really difficult for them to even think about employment, and if they worked with an employment counselor, they would be spending all of their day just learning the language for a job in a restaurant. So we started some, a program um, about four years ago where we take a group of some of the lowest level clients, and we work with them seven or eight months, and it's language for work. So it's just learning the language for getting jobs, and then they do job sad- shadows, and then they do, uh, you know, we help them find jobs and that kind of thing. So we're thinking that that's maybe the route that we're going to have to be taking with some of these clients that we have right now, looking at maybe setting up some of these kinds of programs with some of the clients because the men at some point, yeah, they're going to be ready to work. Right now they're in this honeymoon period and everybody's learning English, but you know they're going to start getting restless and we're going to have to decide what we're going to have to be doing after that. So those of you that work with some of these clients, by all means, you know, helping them find job it's wonderful. All I'm going to say is if you're working with clients and helping them find employment, can you also inform us that that's what you're doing so we can be working together on this? so that we don't end up with clients coming back and saying, no, no, I have a job. You know, my, my, my church family, they found me a job. And I say to them, well, where's the job? No idea. What is the job? No idea. When do you start the job? Mm, I don't know. Um, so if we're working together with this, then hopefully, you know, it's just going to help our clients find employment that much quicker. So that's kind of what we do. And, um, yeah, I'll stop there at the presentation this time.